I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of people, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and pray real quick. Father, we believe in the Holy Spirit here this morning. We believe that um, you are present by the power of your Spirit whenever your church is gathered together. Uh, the communion of saints, Lord, those who are in Christ, declared to be holy. Lord, that you are uh, here to uh, mold us and shape us into the image of you, the holy God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord as we gather together with your holy people, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we can't do any of this uh, without you. We depend upon you, Lord, and we are here to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you are uh, with us for the first time, uh, we are in a sermon series, a teaching series called Real Faith, a study on uh, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with the Apostles' Creed, it's, it's a summary of the Christian belief, of what the Bible uh, teaches. It's like a uh, concentrated soap. It's, it's, bo it's, it's boiled down to a concentrated form. There's a lot packed um, into it. It has been used throughout uh, church history, so for like 1,700 years, right? That's a, that's a long time, right? 1,700 years. So basically, wherever Christians have been found, the Apostles' Creed has been found. Wherever, wherever Christians have been for 1,700 years. The uh, Christians have been using this um, in all kinds of different ways uh, in the life of the church. And that really ought to uh, humble us, right, to think that our brothers and sisters throughout church history have um, leaned on um, this for 1,700 years. We're, we, we didn't just arrive, right? There's been a long story of, of the church uh, prior to us. Um, th there are some debatable points to the creed, and we'll get to those. You just got to give us a couple seconds. We'll get to the debatable uh, points. Um, but one of the reasons the, the Apostles' Creed has stood the test of time for 1,700 years is most of it is crystal clear, right? It is all about, the Creed is all about Jesus, really. It all hangs together in uh, the person of Christ. And that's what we want to be about as a church. We want to be crystal clear about Jesus, all right, so I want you to listen to the creed uh, again. This is what it says. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. So I want to begin with a question here this morning, which is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's what we're going to camp out on. Who is Jesus here this morning? Um, the, the first four books in the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, are called the Gospels, right? Uh, it's they're written by Jesus' disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, all of them are seeking to answer the question, who, who is Jesus? 
right? We, uh, a couple weeks ago, went out to Cape State Park to the uh, Overlook, and it's fabulous. It's beautiful, right? And the leaves are changing, and the valley is just so beautiful. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us four lookout points, four vantage points to get a glimpse of the beauty and uh, grandeur uh, of Jesus Christ. And they're all answer, trying to answer that question, who is Jesus? We're going to take a look at uh, Mark's gospel here today. And right in the middle of the book of Mark, there's like a hinge point where um, uh, Jesus begins to head to the cross. This crucial moment, and Jesus asks his disciples this question. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. All right, so uh, in the context here, uh, there was a lot of confusion about who Jesus was. Some people thought he was one of the prophets uh, from long ago, but he turns to his disciples and says, what about you? I know there's a lot of talk about me out in the the countryside, in the community, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Now, notice here in this passage, Jesus is talking to people who already believed in him. He's, He's talking to people who already believed in him, who trusted in him, and he's asking them, who do you say that I am? So, how about you here this morning? How about you? Whether you consider yourself to be a Christian uh, or not, who is Jesus? I'm pretty sure even if you're a Christian, when you meet him, you're going to realize we've got a whole lot to learn about him. Right? And the creed is massively helpful here. Let's look at it again. Let's look at the Apostles' Creed. And we believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. So the creed mentions three titles given to Jesus. Y'all see him? The Christ, Son, and Lord. And these are all rooted in the Scriptures, right? These three titles of Jesus speak to three relationships. And that's what we want to look at to answer this question, the three relationships. The first is the Christ. Christ is a title, not a last name like Jones, like Jesus Jones, right? Jesus Christ is not a cuss word. Um, it, it, you know, it is, it, Christ is a, is a title. The word Christ comes from the Greek word creo, which means to anoint. And in uh, the story of the Bible in the biblical times, anointing someone was a, it was a ceremony, right? And it's, it marked this person, set them apart um, for a particular office. Something similar happens when um, someone becomes a police officer. Right? There's a ceremony involved. They've got to take, gotta swear an oath. Uh, and then uh, they're given the power to lock you up. Um, they, they take an oath uh, before officials. Uh, that includes uh, defend the Constitution. So the title Christ focuses on Jesus' relationship to Israel. Right? And, and all these titles, the relationships kind of overlap. But um, um, Jesus was anointed the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, the long-awaited king uh, that they had been waiting for. See, God promised uh, all different types of ways throughout uh, uh, the Bible that he was going to send this king, right? Another word for it is the Messiah, what Peter confessed in Mark uh, 8. Jesus was, uh, was anointed the king of uh, Israel, and this, this ceremony happened at his baptism. Look at this, Mark, again, the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee. He was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open, the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice 
came from heaven. You are my beloved son. And with you I am well pleased. So the prophets look forward into the future of this event right here. That God's anointed king would come and he would be uh, anointed uh, by the power of the spirit. He would be empowered by God to fulfill his mission. If you notice here, uh, if you notice in that passage, that God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son are all present. That God shows up to crown Jesus king and to send him out uh, to do um, what he had been called to do. Mark is at pains throughout his book showing us that Jesus is the one that the prophets promised long ago. He, what they foretold uh, he would do for Israel and for all the nations. So that's the, that's the first um, relationship. The second one is his only son. Right? G, this is focusing on Jesus' relationship uh, with his father. Right? Because the creed says we believe in Jesus Christ and his only son. God the Father's uh, only son. Uh, the book of Mark is uh, very interesting along these lines. It, um, at very strategic places, has people answering the question, who is Jesus? And he puts the answer uh, into their mouth. The answer that they confess uh, Jesus Christ uh, to be. Uh, the first we already looked at was at Jesus' baptism. At Jesus' baptism, God the Father's voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son. The second is when uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, took them up onto a mountain, and he like ripped open you know, his, the glory. He let the glory out. His robes began to shine. And uh, God the Father's voice said, this is my son. Listen to him. And the last is when Jesus was on the cross. Look at this, Mark 15, verse 39. When the centurion, was a Roman soldier, was standing opposite him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, I'm sure that this soldier saw many a man die. But there's something about the way that Jesus died that he saw that Jesus was God's, um, God's son. He saw Jesus forgive his enemies from the cross. When Jesus was crucified, it says that darkness covered the whole land, and there was, a, there was an earthquake uh, in that moment. He saw uh, Jesus' innocence, the fact that he was innocent, but yet he was nailed to the cross uh, as a criminal. And here's what I want you guys to focus in on for a minute. This is the only time in the book of Mark that someone actually gets it right. And this man sees Jesus being crucified, saw his innocence, saw the way he loved his enemies, saw, saw what was going on in the heavens, right? said, uh, truly, this is the Son of God. Someone gets it when the Son of God dies for sins, dies for sinners like uh, me and you. And it's the most unlikely person, isn't it? This rough, broken Roman soldier is the only one who, who gets it. You see, God's only son is made plain to us at the cross. Just like right now how, how the nation of Israel um, is rescuing hostages from Hamas terrorists, God sent his only son, God the Father sent his only son into this world, into hostile territory to rescue us. Except we are the ones who bring the hostility. It was humanity that nailed Jesus Christ uh, to the cross. This is our our idle position, by the way. You know, like the idle on, a, on an engine. This is, this is where our engine is set. All right, this is our baseline. 
This is our level line as humanity is hostility in our hearts towards God. Uh, this is the one true and living God, hostility towards uh, other people. Listen to how uh, Colossians chapter 1 puts this. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. Once you were alienated, that is separated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. You see, God the Father sent his only son to rescue us from our hostility and our rebellion against him by, by Jesus Christ being crucified for us at the cross to bring us back to him, bring us home to him, to forgive us, make us right with him. That's the second relationship. The third is Lord. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Jesus is Lord is focusing on Jesus' relationship to the entire world. Uh, in the books of uh, the Lord of the Rings, uh, there is the, the one ring, right? And I have a picture of it right there. Does anybody read Elvish here this morning? Um, Mel does. She's on it this morning. Uh, well, the, the, the picture is not in the book, but it is in the movie. Um, here's, what the, here's what the one ring, I'm going to translate it for you. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. You see, and the, the dark lord, Sauron, had, had, had gotten these rings together because he wanted to uh, dominate all of Middle Earth by the one ring. Here's my point. Jesus is the one lord to rule them all. That's what a lord means. It means that Jesus is lord over all, over everything. When the apostle Paul when he uh, was a murderer of Christians, when he saw Jesus as Lord risen from the dead, Jesus rolled up on him, changed his life forever, revealed his glory to him. Paul went out all throughout the Roman Empire and uh, the Mediterranean world, preaching the gospel, starting churches, and he found himself in Athens, Greece, and here's the end of his, he got an opportunity to preach, and here's the end of his sermon, Acts 17, verse 30-31. Therefore, Having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed, that's Jesus. He's provided proof to this to everyone by, by raising him from the dead. You see, Jesus is the risen Lord over, every, over everything. Everyone knows what this passage says. God commands everyone all people everywhere. God has provided proof to everyone that all of this is going to go down because a man walked out of the grave. Right? I don't know what more God could do for us. Jesus is, as the song we just sang, the Word above all earthly powers. He is Lord above all earthly powers. He is the judge over all powers. And God made this clear by raising him from the dead. I want you to think about this for a second. What is the most important question in your life today? What's that nagging question in your life? What's, what's the most important question in your life? Who is Jesus is the most important question in your life, in, in case you got it wrong. Who is Jesus is the most important question in your life. But for a lot of people, it's not. Uh, for a lot of people, um, who is Jesus is, is just irrelevant. It's like when you're watching um, something on YouTube or you're, you're streaming something and a commercial pops up, right? How many of us are actually paying attention to those commercials? 
All right, we're waiting. It's, it's, it's got the seconds counting down, and we're waiting just to hit skip ahead so that we can watch the video that we intend and see. That's, what, that's the way a lot of people uh, think about Jesus in our culture, right? It's just, if they hear about Jesus or think about Jesus, it's just white noise, and let's just skip ahead. And a lot of Christians live this way, too, right? Skip ahead. Let me get on with what I really want to do and just skip on ahead. You cannot skip Jesus, by the way. We cannot skip Jesus. God has provided proof of this by raising the man from the dead and seating him at his right hand. You cannot ignore Jesus in your life. Jesus will not be ignored. Jesus will not be denied. And as the risen Lord, he has authority over everything. He has authority over every minute of your life, every thought of your life, every decision of your life. Jesus is Lord. And this is why we proclaim Jesus here as a church. This is why we proclaim Jesus to you every Sunday. This is why we want to be clear about Jesus. This is why we are here on this corner right here in our community to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that you must be converted. That's what that passage clearly said. Paul said that God now commands all people everywhere to repent. That is to be converted. You must be converted. And when we get a glimpse of Jesus, just like that, that, that Roman soldier, when we get a glimpse of who he really is as a son of God, it leads to three conversions. That's the next thing I want to talk about. Three conversions. Three conversions. What is conversion, by the way? Yes, it is changed. Right? It is changing from something. Right? It is turning away from something specific in your life. Specific sins, idols of the heart, things that we worship deep down. A life lived for the self. Um, conversion is God changing us. Conversion is God turning us around. Conversion is turning one's whole life to Jesus. That's what conversion is. Those three things. You guys know those uh, um, shipping containers, the big ones, like the sea containers? You ever seen people like convert those things into houses? Like they'll like stack them up, you know, or maybe they'll convert them into like a super cool cabin. I think that'd be amazing to do. I think that'd be fun, right? Especially to cut into the side of it, carnage and sparks flying. Uh, but people uh, make them into all kinds of things, right? It, uh, it did one thing, but then it got converted into something completely different. Conversion is God making something different out of your life. That's what conversion is. Conversion is when a person transfers his or her total allegiance over to God. I want you to listen to what uh, Martin Luther uh, said. There are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, conversion of the mind, conversion of the purse. That's old school. It was written in the 1500s. We'll get to it. All right. All right. Let's take those one at a time. Heart. Our hearts need to be converted. They need to be changed. Heart in the Bible is not necessarily the thumper right here. All right. The thumper points to a more a deeper heart that we have, right? The, the, our physical heart is what keeps us alive. It is pumping the, the blood through, a, through our bodies all day, all day long, right? But that heart right, is meant to point us to a deeper reality that who you really are deep down is your heart. That's what the Bible says. The heart in the Bible is the inner person that's made up of your thought life, your emotions, and your will. That is what you desire, what you want to do uh, deep down. And the Bible makes it clear that without Jesus Christ, without uh, Jesus in our life, 
His forgiveness and His grace, our hearts are wicked. They are deceitful. And they need to be transplanted with a new one. Our hearts, we need to have open heart surgery, so to speak. Our old heart needs to be ripped out and we need a new one uh, to be put in. I'll show you this. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27. That's how it says. The prophet Ezekiel, speaking, uh, God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully uh, observe my ordinances. John chapter 3, when, when uh, Jesus was having a conversation with um, the religious leader Nicodemus, basically says, this passage is fulfilled in my ministry. Right, to, through the coming of Jesus, that it's only if he does this to you, he gives you a heart transplant that you can enter into uh, the kingdom of God. Only the Lord Jesus can change our hearts. This is what he says he can and will do. I don't know if you, if you um, noticed that in that passage. I will give you a new heart. I will remove your heart of stone. I will place my spirit within you. I will cause you to obey me. All right, and when he does do this, when he does change us like this, we go from a life of living our lives for ourselves with us on the throne to a life of falling at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him. Like the song we sang, all my heart, all my soul, right? We, we give it over to him. That's what conversion looks like. All right, notice it says here too that when we get converted, God causes us to follow his statutes and carefully obey his orders. You see that? When our hearts get changed, right, our lifestyle gets changed as well. Uh, we begin to uh, want to obey uh, God in all ways in, in our life. And if God gives us a new heart, right, that's a treasure, right? He, he forgives us. He cleanses us. He puts his um, spirit within us. And that's something we want to protect. That's something we want to uh, guard uh, in our lives. Look, look at, uh, so a converted heart is a guarded heart. Look at Proverbs uh, chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart above all else. All right, above everything else, this is what you need to do in your life. Don't let the well of your heart get polluted, for it is the source of life. How can you do that? How can we guard our hearts? Well, by having our minds converted as well. You can guard your heart by having your mind converted. Our minds need to be converted. This is the second conversion. Our minds need to be uh, converted. When we think about the mind, we need to have the Bible's understanding of what it means to be a human being. In other words, we need a biblical anthropology, a biblical understanding of what it means to be a human. Right? Our mind is not just this, um, is not this um, thing up here. Right? That's the brain. That's the organ. The mind is something, uh, something else. Right? We, need to, we need to understand these things according to Jesus. By the way, Jesus is smarter than us. Jesus understands who you are way better than uh, anyone else, right? And here's why. Jesus invented human beings. He made you and fashioned you so he knows what your mind uh, truly is. He teaches that our thought life comes from our hearts. It comes from your inner person, your immaterial person deep down, just like the springs at the park. That water is kind of bubbling up deep from the earth, deep from uh, um, within. So our thoughts, our minds are coming, right, from uh, uh, deep within. Our thought life is. Uh, Mark chapter 7, look how Mark puts this. 
This is Jesus speaking. Mark 7, 21-23. Look at this. From within, out of people's hearts, look at this, come evil thoughts. You see that? Where are the thoughts coming from? From our hearts. Right? This is the way Jesus uh, thinks about you. From within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. So, what should we do? What should we do to have a, have a converted mind? All right, what would that uh, look like? It looks like seeing thoughts that are evil. Right? Evil according to the Bible's definition. Thoughts that are unbiblical. Thoughts that are not God's thoughts. Thoughts that are not uh, God's ideas as little terrorists. Okay? Running around your heart. You need to see anything that's evil, anything that's wicked. You guys ever have, have thoughts and you're like, what is that? You know? We have all kinds of thoughts all the time that are kind of bubbling up from within that, that aren't God's thoughts. They aren't the things that he wants us uh, to be thinking about at all. I found this uh, in the news. Here's, here, here, here's the line from this article. Israel is targeting Hamas, Hamas's leaders and its tunnels and has laid siege to northern Gaza. That's what you've got to do with your thoughts. You have to target them. You have to go down into the tunnels of your heart, and whenever there's an evil thought, a thought that is not what God wants you to think, an unbiblical thought, you need to go down there and lay siege to it. All right, this is, this is what the Apostle Paul said he was doing throughout his ministry, throughout his life. Look at here, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. And every proud thing, that's not a good thing, is it? A proud thing? That is raised up against the knowledge of God. Something raised up against the knowledge of God is not uh, a good thing. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. And here's what was going on. Uh, the Apostle Paul had started this church, uh, the church at Corinth in Greece. And after he had started it and left, people rose up from within uh, that were um, rejecting his authority as an apostle. They were teaching things that were unbiblical, things that aren't what uh, God would have for us, and leading God's people away. So Paul took aim at their unbiblical uh, ideas and teachings and attitudes, right? And took down their strongholds, wrong thinking and uh, behavior that was being reflected in the life of this uh, church. So let me ask you, are you letting the little terrorists of envy, fear, sexual immorality, ungratefulness, anger, bitterness, selfishness, and so on and so forth terrorize your mind? Are you letting the little terrorists make tunnels in your heart? Right? Here's the good news. You don't have to do that. You don't have to let evil thoughts, depressing thoughts, ungrateful thoughts, uh, um, yeah, any, any type of uh, thoughts that are just ungodly uh, terrorize your mind. Right? You don't have to let that happen. You have a choice in the matter. You can do something about it. Here's what we need to do first. We need to come to Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and feeling guilty. Come to him to find rest uh, for, your, for your souls. Come to him for forgiveness and grace. And then take the word of God. Go down into the tunnels 
of your heart and mind and just take the assault, the, the assault rifle of the Word of God and just take them out. That's what you do. Like a special ops team, you go take God's Word, go down into your heart, anything that is unbiblical, you shoot it and you take it down. That's what you do. The third conversion is the purse. And he's talking about your wallet or your, or your purse, right? Your money needs to be converted. I, uh, I've traveled to Brazil uh, several times. And uh, at least when I went, it was, a, it was a while ago, I'd take my dollars with me and they needed to be converted into real, which is the Brazilian uh, currency. Paul, uh, uh, or Luther is saying here, Martin Luther, is saying that your relationship to money needs to be changed. He's saying that because Jesus is the risen Lord over our wallets, over our bank accounts, over all of our financial resources, and he says so. Jesus says so. Listen to this. One-fifth of all of Jesus' teachings mention money. That's crazy. That equals out to one in every ten verses. What in the world? Jesus talked about money a lot. The Bible talks about prayer and faith about 500 times. But mentions money over 2,000 times. God is smarter than us. And He knows that our money needs to be converted. It needs to be changed. We need to take the, uh, the allegiance of our money needs to be transferred over to the Lord Jesus and, and not us. Look what Jesus says about this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, according to Jesus, money is both a thermometer and a thermostat. What, what do thermometers do? They take the temp. Yeah. Thank you, Mel. Um, yes. They take the temp. You can participate here. It's all good. Um, they tell you what the temperature is. So Jesus is saying here that what you do with your money, where your money goes, tells you the temperature of your heart. Right? Does where your money go, is it, is it, is it saying to you, Jesus is Lord or I'm Lord? right? It's all mine. So money is a thermometer. Money is also a thermostat. What do you do with a, a thermostat? You set the temp, right? So Jesus is saying by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can actually take your, take your money and set the thermostat of your heart. If you change where it goes, right, or you give the allegiance of your money uh, over to Jesus, your heart will follow as well. There, your heart will be also. Right? What, what would it look like? Well, think about this. Imagine with me. What would it look like for your purse to be converted? What would it look like for your paycheck, your wallet, your, uh, your retirement, your, your resources to be converted? Uh, John Wesley uh, was the founder of the Methodist movement. And uh, I want you to listen to the advice that, that he gives us here. He says... Earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Let's think about this for a second. Are you earning all you can? Are you earning all you can? Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to earn all that you can? Well, listen to Ephesians. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief, uh, thief uh, no longer steal, 
Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. So we work so that we won't be tempted to do things like that. Break God's commands, steal. And people steal in all, all various shapes, forms, and fashions. Right? We don't want to be tempted to steal. We don't want to be dependent upon um, other people uh, for our uh, you know, well-being. Right? We want to be, take responsibility for our lives and um, to earn as much as we can. But also, this passage says, look at here, look here. So that you have something to share with anyone in need. That's a great reason to make all that you can so that you can actually be a blessing to other people. Right? Someone has a need. The church has a need. And you say, you know what? I've been working hard so that, you know, God's good. He's provided. Right? Here it is. Right? So are you um, earning all you can? Are you saving all you can? Do you know the Bible has a lot to say about this? Let's look at one spot. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. Go to the ant. Right? That is the insect. Take a look at the ant. Study it. Right? There's a world of wisdom there. You slacker. Right? Observe its ways and become wise. You can learn a lot from the ant. Without leader, administrator, ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer and it gathers its food during harvest. Right? So the ant is a self-starter and as a self-starter, it is saving all that it can for the future, for future needs. Right? And this is why we save. This is why we save all that we can because we're saving for future needs. Right? Unexpected things happen in life, don't they? Unexpected opportunities also happen in life, too. Like, we live in this world, and, uh, you know, our muffler falls off. Unexpected. Right? Your car starts making a squeaking noise. Unexpected. But I have a wonderful opportunity over here to give, and give a bunch, and give sacrificially. Right? And when those times come, you don't want to have crippling debt. You don't want to have credit card debt, your bill's piling up, um, because you won't be able to, you won't be able to um, meet the need. Are you earning all you can? Are you saving all you can? Last, are you giving all that you can? Recently, I've heard numerous pastors, several pastors, I should say, say they've never heard anyone confess to them that they've struggled with greed. Think about that. They've confessed all kinds of other sins and struggles, not one person has ever confessed to them greed. And why is that? Right? Because when our, when, our, when, our, when our purses aren't converted, what we do is we have a greedy heart. We want to hold on. We don't want to give. Right? And we look around at everyone else, and we see people who have more than us, and we say, well, that's the greedy people right there. Right? Not me. Uh, not me. Even though I could, I could compare back this way too, couldn't I? What about those folks over in the slums in Brazil? I wonder what they think about me. And my nice clean water I can drink out and I have electricity I can just uh, turn on in a, in a moment's notice. Right? That's, what, that's the way a greedy heart is. A greedy heart only gives out of a sense of guilt and a desire to get back. But a converted heart, a converted wallet and purse is a generous heart and sees given to the church as a joy given to love and bless and serve other people as a wonderful opportunity. Right? That's what it is. That's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. I'll have this up here. God loves a cheerful giver. There it is. What more do we need? 
God loves it when we give out of a, of a joyful heart because He's given us His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus impoverished Himself by taking upon Himself our flesh and blood and dying for us at the cross. God gave us everything. Surely we can give all that we can. I'm going to end with this. What do you think happened to that Roman soldier after he saw Jesus die that day? What do you think happened to him after he saw Jesus forgive his enemies, mocking him at the cross? He knew Jesus was innocent. He saw the heavens turn black, right? He saw everything that was going on. He saw the way Jesus died. And he says, that man right there truly is the Son of God. I think he got converted. I think when we get a glimpse of Jesus sitting on the throne, Lord of all, the Messiah, I think when we see him as the Son of God, nails driven through his hands, through his feet, crown of thorns twisted on his hands for our sins. I think when we see the fact that that grave is empty, right, and you, no one can put him back in the grave, when we see him in his glory, we get converted in every way. Let me ask you a question. Do you need to be converted here this morning for the first time? Do you need, do you need to go from a life of living for self to surrendering to Jesus Christ here this morning. The good news is God wants you to do that. God sent you here for that purpose. God created this church to, for you to hear the good news that you might come home to him. Christian, where is your heart at here this morning? Right? How do you need to respond to um, this word here this morning? We believe in Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, God the Father's only Son and our Lord. And that's who we want to respond to.